If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll be starting with verse 12. Doctrine is very important. By it, many people have the wrong doctrine. Some people think that, um, that you need to work for your salvation. Or that somehow Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough and you have to do something to add to it. That's incorrect doctrine. There are those who believe correctly that salvation is by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And we understand that it is God's grace. It is the faith that he's given to us that causes us to be saved. But then there are those who take that doctrine and just decide that they're going to be on layaway that they're just going to be here on earth doing whatever they do on earth, but not moving forward in faith and strengthening in faith and being like Jesus. That's wrong too. You may have the correct doctrine, but your life doesn't show it. The writer of Hebrews spent a long time talking about doctrine, about how Jesus is better than all these various things that he wrote about. Then he started talking about faith, and how th those were our examples, our witnesses, that we need to also live our lives in faith. And then he said, we are to enter this race and we're to win the race that sets before us, that we are to, to do so and to lay aside every sin and encumbrance so easily entangles us and to keep our eyes on Jesus. Then he talked about discipline. And how discipline is needed, and that if you're not disciplined by the Lord, and it doesn't mean punishment, it means correction and giving of new uh, skills, then you're not his. The writer now is going to move us back to that kind of view of the race for a moment, giving us that thing that why we are to move on. In this couple of verses, he kind of takes away our excuse. I've heard a lot of times people say, well, that's just who I am. Or I'm just a sinner. How can I do any better? And we content ourselves with staying in the very same place that we are. And the scriptures don't call us to do that, but call us to be like Jesus. So he's going to, in this writer, he's going to say in these two verses, it's just not good enough that you are the way you are. So in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight the paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He's saying there's no excuse for you to not run the race correctly and that we are to strengthen our hands and at first you go well huh i wonder what hands have to do with running your race and at first i thought well maybe he's talking almost like a a relay race where you pass the baton of faith on and, and on and that wasn't satisfactory to me so i'll tell you what i think he means by strengthening your hands when you're running the race you can move your arms, 
but it doesn't get you to run. In order to run, you need to move the hands and the arms. And there's an interesting thing. You cannot run faster than you move your hand. So when you're running this race, you need to be strengthened in the upper body so that you move correctly as you're running. And then he says that we are to make sure that the knees that are not feeble. For those of you who like to run, it's difficult for any period of time to run on the street because the asphalt causes a hard pounding on the knees. And if you run for a long time on the street, you'll find out that you'll have one leg shorter than the other because the street's kind of this way. He's saying when you run those paths, you're going to make your knees feeble. So make sure you're running the race with paths for your feet so that the limb does not become lame, so that there's nothing that hinders you from running the best race with the best time that you can. And so that you not be put out of joint, but rather healed. In essence, as we're running this race, instead of it causing us spiritual pain and spiritual um, lameness, as we run, actually, we become stronger spiritually and stronger spiritually. And that is the point that, that the writer is making. But then you go, well, how is it that I can have this strength? Isaiah tells us, and in two places. First, I'd like you to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. He says this. I simply turn it right correctly. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. The first off, he reminds us that God is a God that doesn't tire. You don't wear him out. Life doesn't wear him Creation doesn't wear him out. He does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. We don't understand it. We don't give him advice. He gives strength to the weary. When you find that, that your race is causing you to be tired, to be weary, that you don't want to take another step, or that problems are so high, you just go, Lord, I just can't give another step. The Lord gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Notice he doesn't say, well, go out to a gym and work out. He goes, seek that from God. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. I want to stop there. We tend to think, and I think correctly, then when we say those who wait on the Lord, basically those who pause and let God be God will gain new strength. But there's another sense that I, I want us to consider. For those who wait, not necessarily those who pause, but for those who serve the Lord, like a waiter serves people. So those who wait on the Lord, those who serve God, 
will have greater strength and greater um, power. I've heard so many pastors look at two ends of a spectrum. That that You'll have a bunch saying, well, I would rather burn out than rust out. Well, both of them, you're out. Whether you rust out or burn out, you're out. But usually the reason people burn out is because they wait on other people. They wait on the church. They wait on building a building. They wait for those things instead of waiting on the Lord, instead of serving him. So what makes it easier for me is I go, Lord, they're your people. I'll give them your word, but you got to change them because I can't because I know I don't change me. You have to change me. And so those who wait and serve the Lord will gain new strength and they will mount up with wings like eagles. Now, unfortunately, we have a tendency because we live in a city not to see very many birds fly, but eagles have a tendency because of their broad wings and their feathers are able to soar. And they take the updrafts and they soar and they glide. They don't have to use a lot of energy to stay aloft. They allow the updrafts and the currents to keep them up. Sometimes we ought to just let the Lord keep us up. Instead of working so hard, flapping our wings like eagles, they soar. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. We are in this race. God told us that we are in this race and we are to run it, to win it. And one of the ways he gives us the ability to do that, to seek his strength, his power, to wait on him. But he also tells us to do something else. And in Isaiah chapter 35, he also says this in verse 3. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those who are anxious heart, take courage. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Not only are we to wait on the Lord, but we, as we are running this race, are to turn one another and say, God got you. God strengthens you. You can hear, you can see, you can be powerful. And so we are to encourage one another as we get into this race. Now, it's interesting because we need to run the race to win it. But we run the race to win it, not by disabling our competition, but causing them to be even stronger. The best way to win is when everybody does. When we're so fast amongst each other that we cross the finish line together, but we do so at the best that we are able to do in the Lord. So it's not a matter of competition that I try to cause your 
knees to ache, but I encourage you to strengthen your knees so that we run both rapidly and the best we can. Now turning back to Hebrews. It says this, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men. Now, the, the word here is pursue. Interesting. Didn't say follow peace. Didn't say let peace happen. It said pursue it. In essence, run it down. Seek it. But you're not just, oh, well. no, you run it down. You pursue it. When you see a police pursuit, they are there to capture the bad guy, whoever it is they're trying to pursue. That's what we're to do. We're to pursue peace. Now, the scripture says that we are to be at peace as with all men so long as it is dependent upon us. Now, there are times that people just don't want peace. We're not responsible for them, but we're responsible for pursuing peace. Not just allowing it to happen, but to track it down and obtain it. And the sanctification. The process of being holy. We are to pursue peace and we're to pursue the sanctification, the process of becoming holy. We're to pursue those things. It's not good enough to say I read my Bible. But we're to pursue peace. We're to pursue that process of sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We love to talk about how God is love and God is love. And I am grateful that God is love because God could be whoever God wanted to be, but God is love. And unfortunately we get so inundated with God is love that we tend to think that, that, um, that I'm so special that God just, Loves me because I'm just so wonderful and special. But the scriptures, notice the scriptures doesn't say God is love, love, love. It does say God is holy, holy, holy. Yes, God loves you. But God is a holy, holy, holy God. And we need to remember that. And we need to understand that, yes, that we are saved by grace. But we are to remove the sin and the filthy rags and to put on righteousness. To be washed in the word of God. To be cleansed by his power. We are not to maintain the same, but we are to become holy. We are to be a holy people. We are sanctifying and we need to, as well as pursue peace, we need to pursue the sanctification for everyone. It's not just me. Because without it, no one sees the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That's our obligation. To encourage each other not to come false but all the way to the grace of God. So when I talked about there are those who think you have to earn salvation, they're coming short of the grace of God. 
Or those who say, well, I got my fire insurance. I can sit down and be on layaway until Jesus comes. That is falling short of the grace of God. We are to encourage one another not to become short, but receive it wholly, fully, completely. You know, it's funny that we generally are never satisfied with a lot of things. But if God gives us just a little bit, we seem to be, oh, that's, that's great. How about receiving the full grace of God? For by my grace, my power is sufficient in you. Even Paul needed to learn. His grace is sufficient for us. His grace is enough. And he's saying that we need not fall short of that. That we need to understand that grace is not just salvation, but grace allows us to walk and move and run with him. That no root of bitterness spring up causes trouble. Now, roots are a terrible thing. Roots can get down in the ground, and if you there are certain trees that you try to to get rid of because you're tired of the tree, especially those who have planted a tree a long time ago, and all of a sudden the roots start going under the driveway and breaking up or by the sidewalk and breaking up the side. They cause problems. The tree's pretty, but the roots kind of have this difficulty. He's saying, don't let bitterness, which sometimes can be tamped down. You can look like, oh, everything's fine. Then the person walks away and says, I wish they were dead. There's that bitterness that's down deep. And he's saying, don't let that take root and cause trouble. By it, many be defiled. You think your bitterness doesn't affect anyone. It affects you. Not psychologically just, but it affects your that there be no immoral person. Notice it didn't say that no immoral person can't come. We're not to remain that way. We are to be different. We are to be peculiar. And I know, unfortunately, most people think peculiar means it's odd. And Lord knows a lot of us Christians are just odd. But that's not what he means. We're to be peculiar. We're to be different. The Jews were to be different. They were to eat certain things and not eat certain things. Because they were different. It wasn't because pork was bad for them. It was, I want you to be different. So don't, you don't eat pork. Life is in the blood, so you don't need blood. They even were so peculiar that they weren't to wear, to wear two types of fabric at the same time. They weren't supposed to wear wool and linen, which would put us on, because we have what's called polyester, which is a lot of different fabrics kind of put into one. But they were to be, it wasn't that linen was better or wool was better and it's, it's after Labor Day, so you're not supposed to wear white. It's to be different. To set your sights and so that when somebody says, they go, 
oh, that person's a person of God. What differentiates you from the world? Unfortunately, it seems that there's not much difference of the people inside the church walls and the people outside the church walls. Or a godless person like Esau. He talked about a lot of people of faith and he even talked about Jacob. And Jacob wasn't a wonderful guy. He was a supplanter. He was a deceiver. He even wrestled with God. But he wasn't Esau. Like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Esau so despised his birthright. They said that he took it for a single meal. Here's something important for us to remember. Anything that has to do with our appetites will not be satisfied. I've shared this and I'll keep sharing it because it's a perfect example. You can go to the best restaurant, whatever restaurant you think is the best restaurant, and you can eat as much and so much that you feel like you're, you're going to regurgitate it afterward. And after that, you had dessert. And you're just stuffed. And they have to roll you out of the restaurant. I will guarantee you, by breakfast, if not before, you will be hungry. Because your appetite is never satisfied. Take a look at Beautiful people. It cracks me up. I'll watch some of these programs, how beautiful people will do stupid things, become even more beautiful, and then end up being worse. And, you know, you sit there and go, so on a scale of 100, you're like a 97, and you needed your nose fixed. You could smell fine, you could breathe fine. But now your nose is all screwed up because you had to be perfect. But all those people who do all those things keep going back because their appetite is never satisfied because what the world thinks is beautiful changes. If you don't believe me, go to an art museum. There'll be some art museums where there'll be naked women and they'll be thin. Then in a few centuries later, there'll be naked women and they'll be fat because the idea of what's beautiful changed. And usually what the idea of beautiful changed was that the poorer people were, they were thin. Nobody wanted to be poor. So all of a sudden, if you ate a lot and were fat, you were beautiful. So if you're thin, you say, well, I was in, born in the right century, and if you're fat, say, well, I was born in the wrong century, because I'm beautiful. Because appetites don't satisfy. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He had the opportunity, but he so unvalued it, that he sold it for a single meal. And when his father gave Jacob, who again deceived, 
the blessing, Isaac didn't change and revoke Jacob's blessing. Even when he discovered that Jacob had deceived him, he allowed Jacob to have the blessing and he only gave Esau a very minimal blessing. And Esau cried and he begged his father for it. But let's face it. Even if he got the blessing, would he sell it for another meal? Because that's who Esau was. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it for it with tears. There are a lot of times we regret what we do. And we can even repent. But one thing people will never talk to you about is sometimes you miss the opportunity for repentance. Esau did. The Pharisees who blasphemed the Holy Spirit. There comes a time when God will offer you forgiveness. And it could be withdrawn. Your decision to follow God isn't necessarily on your timetable. Esau understood the mistake he made. But as the scripture says, he was a godless. If you read Revelation, it will talk about how people acknowledge that God is doing these things. But instead of repenting, they seek to hide from God. But there was still even then an opportunity for repentance. But we need to always remember that we operate not on our time schedule, but God. So the opportunity to follow him, to run the race in such a way as to follow Jesus. You don't, it's not like my diet. I always say, well, on Monday or whatever, I'm going to start a diet. It's always later. That's not the way it is to be in spiritual matter. Not Monday. Not next week. It's now. It's now. It's now. Because God is a good, good father. And God will help us to run the race. And God will give us the strength. And God will heal us. And God will make those who are lame and behold and run. But the amazing thing is, those lists of things that we saw that God did, strengthen the feeble and the lame, cause the deaf to hear, and the mute to speak. That's usually who he starts out with. He didn't start out with the best. He starts out with the weak and the lame and the blind. Because when they win the race, he is glorified. 
because it wasn't their ability or strength or power, but his. And in case you might be deceived, the fastest you can run on your own, you will lose every time to a lame person who is given power and strength by God. He will blow you out of the water because it is God who gives strength. It is God who gives power. And it's God who loves the ones he calls according to his purpose. So let us not have incorrect doctrine and let us not assume everything is fine. But let us run and win, not because of the competition, but because God our Father is worthy of it. The scriptures tell us, and I can't wait for that day, that those who run, will, he will give them a garland of life. And then it says that they all will put it before his feet. Not one person who wins will say, look at me. Those who win will say, look at God. I'm only here because of him. I'm only here because my father loved me, strengthened me. And when I was weary, I rose up like wings of eagles and just soared. I took no effort because his wind was under my wing, and he led me on. All God's people.